0: As an OD business owner, there are times in your career when you have to make life-changing business decisions. In this podcast series, I'll talk to ODs and business owners who have insight into how things really work, which can help you rethink your assumptions before making those major decisions to avoid expensive mistakes while optimizing their outcomes. This is the Think Again podcast from iThrive by GPM. Hello, this is Scott Gents, and today's episode is the real method to build a medical practice is not actually a method. Our guest is Dr. Mike Simbor, who's the owner of Nittany Eye Associates, and is a renowned lecturer on a variety of topics around medical management concepts in optometry. Welcome, Dr. Simbor.
1: Thank you, Scott. It's a pleasure to be here, spending this time with you.
0: Well, first, let's tell us about your practice. It's in State College, Pennsylvania. That's where it's based.
1: It is. We're in the, you know, the backyard of Penn State University. We have uh, five offices. One of those is, you know, really directly in State College. That's kind of our flagship. Four other branch offices, and we're about to open uh, a a sixth office.
0: How many doctors? How many staff?
1: So we have uh, uh, about 10 optometrists, and uh, we have about 80 80, uh, non-optometric staff.
0: And one other thing about you, I mean, I know you do speaking, I know you're involved in everything from academy to to organized optometry. You're an owner, but are you also practicing? And, And what is that like?
1: Yeah, so I practice uh, three days a week, so I see patients on the front line of uh, you know of primary care optometry. But um, about five years ago, I devoted um, you know part of that 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 three days a week to something we call the Glaucoma Institute of State College. So we are a kind of a, a uh, you know subspecialty referral center uh, from optometrists and ophthalmologists uh, you know in, in the general area. The other two days a week I'm doing various projects, writing, lecture development, administrative with nit- within N the eye so that uh, that kind of completes my week. That's awesome.
0: So let's get into the topic. I- I'm curious what you think, when you see a headline in one of our publications that talks about implementing the medical model do you think sure. that that's really awesome or do you think it's you know it's too generic of motivation for today's od
1: yeah. So, you know, I, I, I look at that and I, I certainly take it with a grain of salt. Like on one hand, um, I've devoted you know a large portion of my life to not only, um, you know, I- implementing the medical model, but teaching optometrists how to more fully embrace it. And I believe that the trends are, are, are certainly favor those optometrists to do that. But you know, I heard a, a really interesting statistic at the Academy uh, meeting last week, and that is, you know, of, of all the scripts that optometrists write for glaucoma, the vast majority of them are, are written by less than 10% of, of optometrists. So I think that, you know, that people have been beating that drum for years, but we still have a big challenge on how can we actually, you know, get optometrists to embrace it and do it because the need is there. And if we don't respond as a profession, someone else will.
0: Yeah, that, that data is undeniably uh, a fact. And, and so I guess I wonder what does today's optometrists see themselves doing to say they're running a medical practice. From your perspective, the baseline, what's the baseline is it treating dry eye? Is it doing a few glaucoma patients a month? Where is that base for a medical practice?
1: Yeah, so for us, I think it's it's different for, for everyone. For us, for me in particular, it was glaucoma. You know, coming out of my uh, of my training, glaucoma was something I was really passionate about. So so I developed you know my concept of the medical model uh, around glaucoma, and and since that's one of the you know in my opinion one of the more challenging diseases, everything else uh, you know I, I kind of feel like is 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 not not a huge hurdle. But I think for some optometrists, that may be overwhelming, you know, starting, starting with glaucoma. So what I love about uh, where the profession's going as it relates to dry eye, dry eye is, is much more accessible. And I think that we have a lot of optometrists who maybe struggled embracing the medical model, and, but now with dry eye, they're embracing it fully and so once they understand once we as a profession understand hey we can follow and manage these patients uh, the, the dry eye you know kind of model here is that that everything else kind of falls in place if you can if you can run a good dry eye clinic you can run a good glaucoma clinic you can run a good macular degeneration clinic so forth and so on
0: and it can be as simple as starting with active engagement and treatment of patients with chalasia and hordeola right yeah.
1: That's right. That's right. There is a there is a wide umbrella, uh, you know, within the uh, w- within the ocular disease space.
0: So let's talk about operating a business as a business owner rather than a practitioner, because I know that your trajectory as a business owner has been studied and solidly based on measuring what it is as a business as it delivers patient care. What kind of metrics do you use when you're assessing? a practice's medical construct, uh, whether it's you know, tests, encounters, p- types of patients. Tell us what those, those data points are that you monitor in your business.
1: Yeah, so you know, I think probably we, we start from a view of 30,000 feet. You know, what, what percentage of our revenue is optical and what percentage of our uh, revenue is medical? And uh, I would say that, you know, I, I think national averages, you know, m- many optom- optometric practices are in the 60, 70 percent optical and, you know, 30 to 40 percent uh, medical. Um, in our practice, we we are probably about 55 percent uh uh, optical and forty five percent medical. However, individually, you know I'm probably sixty five percent medical and thirty five percent optical. And so uh, so so that's where we start with the view from from thirty thousand feet. But then we start to drill down from there. I think revenue per patient is a really important metric that we look at, uh, but then we separate the revenue per patient into optical revenue per patient and medical revenue per patient. And so we can look at that by optometrist and really kind of understand, okay, who's, our, you know, who's leading in one category, who's leading in another category, and is everyone else uh, kind of where they, where they need to be? So let's talk about your definitions there. When you say
0: medical, are you talking about professional services as a whole or professional services to which there is an assigned medical diagnosis, just to make sure the audience understands?
1: Yeah, I think I think probably the you know the the, the generally speaking, we are looking at um, you know every dollar that is generated through a medical diagnosis. So if the exam uh, goes medical, that's considered uh, you know medical uh, medical treatment. If it's a glaucoma patient that comes in for a glaucoma workup, all of those dollars are put in medical. If, if that same patient then gets, uh, chooses to get glasses during one of these visits, that would be assigned as optical revenue.
0: That sounds good. And you know, I've, I've been a student of people like Dr. Chuck Brownlow, Dr. John Rompakis, um, Dr. McGreal. There are a lot of great folks in our industry who have come before us, who have sort of laid out this idea that every exam is about the patient's reason for visit. And so our yep. title about this is that this isn't really a method. It's about patient care. And that's what I'm taking from what I hear you say. So go into that a little deeper. When you talk about the encounter becomes medical, I mean, refractive codes are still ICD-10 codes, but how do you and your practice delineate that so our audience could maybe think about modeling what they do after
1: you? Mm, yeah. So if the patient's coming in for a quote unquote uh, routine visit that is covered by their vision care uh, insurance um, and, and the, the codes don't, you know, are refractive as opposed to medical, um, then that that's really kind of uh, that, that goes, you know, that goes within the uh, kind of the optical uh, the optical uh, space. Um, if the patient comes in for a yearly diabetic evaluation and those codes go medical, then uh, those are being, you know, that, that's considered uh, medical, um, you know, with, w- within the, uh, the metrics that we look at.
0: Sounds good. You know, back in my software days, we had a data dashboard that looked at something called the 99214 to 99213 ratio. And yeah. as a medical record reviewer, before electronic records, people like Dr. Brownlow and I would look at the way that doctors tended to code. The patients that weren't 92,000 exams and and I came to see that a doctor who built at least a one to one ratio 99214 to 99213 was probably doing a fair amount of medical examination and management of patients. You've maybe heard of that, maybe you haven't. What is your perspective on that or some other data point that a doctor could look at to measure themselves.
1: Hmm, no, I think I think you said it well, and and I, I look at that ratio of nine nine two one four to nine nine two one three as as well, and I uh, I think I think that's a good metric. I agree with that completely.
0: Do you care about getting into the details of how many procedures are done in a month, the number of gonioscopy procedures, number of visual fields, number of OCTs? Is that a management tool?
1: I do it is it is and you know and i I, I will say that um, you know edge pro um, helps us really drill down as deep as we want to and so you know I kind of laid out the view from thirty thousand feet then we drilled down a little deeper and so the next step um, is is really looking at each individual procedure and, um, and 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 for the purpose of just kind of getting an idea of the pulse of what each optometrist is doing and and so i am never going to you know go to one of our optometrists and said hey you know what you only had you know 20 gonioscopies this month you need to you need to, to push that but it gives it gives you a really good idea of how each optometrist within the practice is 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 practicing really and there may be times where you know if we have a, a an, an optometrist who really kind of specializes in a dry eye let us say um, and and is not you know doing maybe as many inflam and dry or tear lab osmolarity or my bone my, my biography uh, as as they could you know we do have a discussion hey we might be leaving money on the table um, but but more importantly we might we might be living leaving some clinical information on the table that's really relevant to their disease that might give us additional insight which pr- then would provide better patient care.
0: Yeah, so again, it's not really a method; it's a mindset. I love that. Let's shift yeah. to outside the practice. So. How involved are you in integrating your eye care practice with uh, local health providers or hospitals, right? Is that an extension of what you do when you say you have a medical practice?
1: Yeah, it really is. Um, I, I'd say what a, big, a big step that, that happened with us uh, is that there was a large medical group in town that, um, that, that built some space. And they were concerned about having uh, patient traffic when they first opened. So they came to us and said, hey, you know, we know you guys are, are, are a busy optometric practice. Um, what do you think about renting space from us uh, and, and you know, put putting an office within our space? And, and we said, well, you know, it's, we weren't really considering that. That's a little close to, to one of our offices, so I'm not sure it makes sense. But we decided to do it anyway, you know, to try it for a year and see what happens. But what developed out of that? is that we developed some really close relationships with their primary care providers. We were sharing a building. And so as a result, We've got we got untold number of, of referrals, you know, acute care, glaucoma care, diabetic care that we probably wouldn't have got gotten otherwise, um, and so that really led to a relationship with this medical facility, and so we've really expanded that through through the years, and this new office that we just ta- that I mentioned earlier that we're going to open, it's in conjunction with this. Local medical groups. so so it really is um, you know a synergistic relationship that has helped us move even more further into the medical arena,
0: and it's a generalization that optometrists that are in rural locations tend to be a little bit more likely to invoke medical model broadly because of the lack of access to other healthcare professionals and medical um, uh, physicians in their in their area. For some doctors, it even involves you know them being the ones that order labs for their patients. Um, yeah. When you have a relationship like that, does it foster your ability to say order labs sure. more so, or instead do you more share the patients and not get into that yourself?
1: Yeah, no, I think it does. Uh, I think I think when you know when when you have the number of patients being sent by their primary care providers to see us, um, just by extension, you're going to come across some really interesting things. That need, uh, you know, that that need uh, X-rays and 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 uh, lab work and uveitis workup, so to speak. So, so I think it it, it really goes hand in hand, and uh, you know, through through that we find ourselves, um, you know, ordering many more of those tests through through those relationships.
0: One more topic on the outside of the practice, and that is on-call services. I, I I've heard a lot of ODs i have called as friends over the years where. The thing that is said in the, the message is, if this is an eye emergency, dial 911 or go to the ER. And that tells me that doctors are hedging on their availability. What is yeah. your advice to a doctor who's getting into the medical mindset in terms of their availability for 24-7 coverage?
1: Oh, gosh, that is such an important. I'm so glad that you mentioned that, because you know, coming out of my residency in 1997, you know, I don't think there was a single optometrist that was uh, in, on call in the state college area and so you know i went to my my uh, colleagues and later partners and said hey we need to be providing this and so they said okay okay hotshot you want to provide it you 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 do it and so for the first i think the first year of my my practice like i was on call all the time but but, you know it it it, uh, it allowed me to see a certain number of patients and really prove, prove the point that that one optometry can play such a valuable role in the emergency care pay, space and you know those those relationships I de- developed through these emergent situations you know, I still have these patients 24 years later uh, so it was really just a natural you know just just a, just a great thing and so so I think um, it, you know and is and in and, and reflection, Reflecting on my 24 years of practice, you know, my, uh, my, my uh, ER colleagues, they are fantastic, but they will be the first ones to admit, you know, I get really squeamish when someone comes in with an eye issue. We would rather you just take care of it, uh, you know, from the get-go. And so we've, we've provided that service consistently over the years. I really want to second your
0: point that this is a tremendous way to demonstrate the mindset of being there for your patients and uh, yeah, I was called out of the backyard little swimming pool more than I wanted on a weekend with the family. Yep. And as I rolled my eyes, my wife was a great guide. She would say, "Hey, listen, man, this is this is what you do, right?" And <laughs> uh, and I'd say, "Yeah, I know. I just got to get the key to the office. I'll, I'll be back in you know an hour." And so <laughs> I, I encouraged docs to do it back to internal um, structure the last thing i can think about isn't equipment it's your comments about scheduling i think that Mm -hmm. a traditional od practice doesn't always have the proper schedule format to handle what we would kind of call you know medical eye patients um we think of our cataract patients as medical because it's a medical diagnosis we think of our you know annual or semi-annual mac to gen patients but Schedule optimization is a big deal. How do you, what advice do you have about scheduling that somebody who's trying to get into the medical
1: mindset could, could take from your experiences? Hmm. Well, I mean, there's a lot, a lot I can talk about. If I, if I had to focus, uh, you know, focus my answer, um, you know, I would, I would say one of the uh, aha moments uh, that I, that I had was you know we were we we really had some challenges in scheduling um, our our not not only our exams, you know, to be able to allow for if a patient comes in for a general exam and, oh, by the way, you know, I, I have a really strong family history of glaucoma, being able to run, uh, you know, uh, an, uh, maybe an OCT on the fly and be able to address that level of care um, out, out of the chute is a really important thing. So so in general, our exams, we have them scheduled to have a 30-minute pre-testing to allow for those types of on-the-fly testing um, and, and we also have OCTs in every pretest room and so so that allows us some flexibility there uh, another thing was with and, and I don't know if this is vir- you know by virtue of the size of our practice or, 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 or even if I was a solo practitioner I would find this challenge but we really had trouble getting the testing, times right so if a patient if I want you know if I diagnose a patient as a glaucoma suspect and I want them to come back in a couple of weeks for a visual field OCT maybe an ERG may, you know may, may, maybe this maybe that um, and so we really had to, to, to develop a protocol saying okay if you have test X, and Y, that's a 15-minute slot with the technician, and we will, you know, we have technicians that that, uh, that's all they do all day is testing, 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 testing. Um, And then if they have, if we have test X, Y, and Z, then maybe that's a 30-minute slot. Uh, and then we'll put them in with a doctor after that. That was, you know, it may sound uh, simple that, you know, we, we, to coordinate that, but it's been it's been a lot of work, but we really have it down, I think, to a science now. Um, and that's, that's benefited us uh, tremendously.
0: My takeaway from that is that it's about resources, the, the, that right. when you get involved in this, you have to think about what resources are available. Sometimes it's equipment and most often it's time and the personnel. And I'm thrilled that you shared it. What's your parting uh, offer or idea that you should give to a doctor who wants to get into that mindset of being a more broadly based provider of healthcare services to their patients?
1: Yeah, well, first off, I would say that, you know, the, the trends uh, are, are, are in your favor. We know that over the next 10 years, the amount of disease uh, as the population ages is is huge. And so, so again, we're gonna need someone to take that over and start with whatever space you're comfortable with. Maybe it's the dry eye space. Maybe it's the macular degeneration space. Maybe it's the glaucoma space. Um, maybe it's the diabetic retinopathy space. And then utilize the technology that I have found so important, you know, whether it's OCT or even OCTA uh, or or Optomaps uh, or Inflamadry, those things, you know, can be hugely important as it relates to your patient care. And then once you figure out one disease, you know, to, to, a, to a certain extent, well, then all the other diseases, they'll fall in line and you will see parallels between them. Like, you know, as I reflect on 24 years, I, I, there's so many parallels between glaucoma and diabetic retinopathy and macular degeneration and dry eye that it is absolutely startling. So you master one and you've got your pathway to, to all four, in my opinion.
0: Great advice, uh, Dr. Mike Simbor, thank you for bringing your expertise to our podcast.
1: Scott, the pleasure is mine. And and as always, uh, I always enjoy, you know, getting the opportunity to talk with you. You are uh, an engaging uh, individual within within our great profession and uh, love the work that you do.
0: I appreciate that. And to the audience, you know, the moral of the story is that you can do seven contact lens exams and one cataract patient a day and have a medical practice. But this opportunity has been sitting before us for far too long for too many of us to not be writing prescriptions for glaucoma patients. It's just one example that Dr. Simbor brought today. So let's step it up. Let's actually do this and create a medical mindset. Dr. Simbor is a great example and an iThrive contributor we're grateful to have on the team. That's it for today's Think Again podcast brought to you by iThrive from GPN.